0: And please turn with me in your Bibles now to Psalm 62. As we read God's Word here in a moment, I want you to pay attention to two ideas in this Psalm as... I read the first is this I the word alone or its companion word only Uh, that word comes up that idea comes up a number of times here in this psalm and this is a psalm of David the king and ultimately this is a psalm of King Jesus and I want you to see the kind of singularity or exclusivity that is given to the place of God In the life of David as the original author by the Spirit, but really in Christ as the epitome, the embodiment of this psalm. But then the second idea there is the word my. As I read, pay attention to how many times the king lays hold of God, the Father, personally saying, Mine. He is mine in so many ways. And then notice the change in that usage when it finally becomes our or us. Let's give our careful attention to the word of God. This is Psalm 62, and this is a psalm of the king. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of David. For God alone my soul waits in silence. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us, Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, Set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Amen. Please bow with me briefly for prayer. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. We sang this morning of how your word is to be desired above all earthly treasures. And even now we sit here with an abundance of your word available to us. And yet sometimes in its abundance, we can still neglect it and fail to value it as we ought. And so we come here because your word teaches us to value your word. You have taught us in your word that it is your word that revives the soul. And so we come to you tonight, reading your word and seeking the blessing of your spirit to apply it to our hearts, seeking that revival. Lord God, we pray that you would bless us tonight with this word. You have taught us here that you are to be the exclusive aim of our hearts. You are to be the one upon which we set all of our hope and all of our expectations. And yet we know how often our hearts are divided, how easily distracted we are. And so we ask as we come now to attend to your word that you would do great good to us as your people, that you would give to us yourself. We pray that you would help us by faith to behold Jesus Christ exalted in his confidence. That we would hear his call to us tonight to take hold of him in that confidence. And to walk similarly through this world, resting in all that you have promised. And so we pray that you would do this now by your blessing and by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is an old saying that has been validated throughout history and is consistent with the word of God. And the saying is simple. As goes the king, so goes the kingdom. As goes the king, so goes his people. We see this throughout human history. If a king enters into war with another country his people are suddenly at war too. Conversely, if a king settles peace with another country, his people enjoy that peace with him as well because as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. Well, here tonight in Psalm 62, we have before us a psalm of a king. The title tells us that this is written by King David. And I want you to imagine for a moment what it must have been like To live in that moment in history in which the king, King David, was singing these words over his people where he was professing his confidence in God alone and then calling to the rest of the nation of Israel to join him in that confidence. What would it have been like to hear an earthly king confess, saying, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Can you imagine that kind of a boast coming from any of the kings of this earth today? Well, not only did he boast in God, the Father, or God as his uh, only hope, but he also then called to the rest of his people saying, you should have the same confidence with me. He said, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. It's really hard for us to imagine what this would be like. Imagine the governor of this state, Governor Polis, humbling himself, repenting of sin, confessing God as his only hope, and then calling to his citizens, the citizens of this state, to join him in that confidence, or think similarly of Joe Biden, our president. It's so far-fetched that we have a hard time even imagining it. But there is a very real sense in which we do not need to imagine this. Because Jesus Christ is king. Because he rose from the grave, he ascended on high, and he is now ruling and reigning as the exalted king of kings and lord of lords. And so whenever we read this song or whenever we sing this psalm, we hear the words of King Jesus lifted upon the lips of his people. And so tonight as we consider Psalm 62 together, we get to give our careful attention not to the words of a mere man, but to the words of King Jesus as he sings this song of confidence over us as his people. As the promised King Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is right now seated far above all authority, rule and power and dominion. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And so in this psalm, we hear the song of our King and the beautiful Reality is, as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. This has personal relevance to each of us as citizens of Christ's kingdom. So what does your king sing? What does King Jesus sing over you tonight when we lift up these words together with our lips? Well, we're going to consider the words of our risen king tonight, and I want you to reflect Throughout this sermon tonight, upon that reality that as it goes for the king, so it goes for his kingdom. Let's begin our consideration tonight by considering first the king's confidence. This psalm breaks down into two parts. And the first part is made up of verses 1 through 7. The second and the final five verses and the reason why that saying, as goes the king, so goes the kingdom, is so fitting for this psalm, is the two parts of that saying fit this psalm. As goes the king, verses 1 through 7, so goes his kingdom, verses 8 through 12. Well, What we hear here in verses 1 through 7 is the confidence of King Jesus. Why does King Jesus sing Of his confidence? Well, first of all, it is because King Jesus, in his humiliation, found refuge in God alone. Think about the Lord Jesus Christ in his humiliation. Jesus took on the form of a servant, he was born in the likeness of man, and as that promised son of King David, King Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God. And in his humanity, he found his refuge in God alone. He came as the forerunner of our faith. He came as the preeminent believer. Listen to his language of verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Who could ever have said those words completely or perfectly well, only the Lord Jesus Christ. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. The language of verse 1 invokes the imagery of a ship that has found safe harbor from the rough waters of a stormy sea. And we might think of the Lord Jesus Christ enduring all of the miseries of this life. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was rejected, doubted, and mocked. He was persecuted and attacked. And yet, in all of it, Jesus was silent as a lamb is before its shearers. Even though Jesus' experience in this world must be likened to the rough waters of a stormy sea, he remained confident by finding refuge in his Father. Just as he was asleep in the stern of the boat while it was in a storm and his disciples were tossed about and running around in chaos, Jesus found refuge in the promises of the Father. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus waited in silence for God and verse 2 tells us why. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. With an unbroken focus, Jesus looked to the Father. He knew the very purpose for which he had come. He had come to save his people from their sins. He knew that he was going to lay down his own life and that no one would take it away from him. And so to do so, he entrusted himself to his Father, awaiting his salvation. Jesus stood before his accusers, able to stand there in complete silence. Resting in the sure promise of the Father. Well, how much more then should we hear Christ today? In His earthly ministry, He boasted confidently in God, but right now He sits at the right hand of the Father, having received so many of those promises as the risen and exalted King. Here He he boasted as a man by faith in the promises of God, but now He boosts our own boasting. By what he sees from the right hand of the Father in heaven. King Jesus' confidence was rooted in the refuge that he found in God. And as we go on, we see that that confidence from refuge manifested itself in a rebuke. Look at verse 3. Jesus there addresses those who attacked him. And Jesus there asks the question how long? That question is asked many times throughout the Psalter. How long? But it's most often addressed to God. How long, O Lord? Well, this one is not addressed to God, but this one is addressed to Christ's enemies. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? This is another manifestation of Christ's confidence. He is not asking this question As if he doesn't know the outcome. He's asking this question to reveal the futility of all of his enemies. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he faced the assaults of enemies from every side. They tried to discredit him. They tried to silence him. And when those attempts failed, they tried to kill him. Look at how Jesus then describes their plan and their pleasure. Verse 4, their plan. In the first part, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. That has been the enemy of Christ's plan since the fall. This was their plan then. It continues to this day. Even as Christ has been exalted on high, the endless attacks of his enemies continue today. Verse 4 continues, speaking of their pleasure. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. So many today continue their attacks in this very same way. Jesus is a good teacher. He is a great moral example. He was a prophet. These sound like blessings. But whenever these words come from mouths inwardly, they are cursing. Because they are not recognizing Jesus as Savior and Lord. And the words here of verses 3 and 4 find a fitting parallel in Psalm 2 which is another psalm of the Lord's anointed king. Psalm 2 asks, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. Let us cast their cords from us. Well, just as here in our psalm, we hear of Christ's confidence where it says there in Psalm 2, He who sits in heaven laughs. Here in Psalm 62, we hear the same confidence of King Jesus as he rebukes the endless and the fruitless attacks of his enemies. Here we are some 2,000 years later in Christ's kingdom continues to march on day after day. Marching confidently because of Christ toward the consummation of his kingdom. Well, the final way that we see Christ's confidence is here in his words of reassurance. In verses 5 through 7, King Jesus speaks to himself in his humiliation. Now, you might ask, well, why would Jesus need words of reassurance? Why would he need to speak to himself in this way? Well, we must remember that Jesus was made like us in every way, yet without sin. And in his humanity, he walked by faith and not by sight. He was and is fully God in his humanity, and yet he still faced temptation. And these were real temptations. Think about the way that Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness. He tempted Jesus with another way to glory. He tempted Jesus to doubt the word of God and gave him what seemed to be an easier path. And so you can imagine how the words of our psalm tonight were aimed at keeping the tempest of those temptations at bay in Christ's obedience. Look at the way that Jesus here reassures himself with a personal embrace of the Father. Notice how in these three verses, that word my is employed in reference to God as a reassurance of his promised care. Now, before I read the verses, think about this. These words were prepared by the Father, written down by the Spirit, so that in his humiliation, Jesus would know this reassurance as he walked through all of the temptations and trials in this world, these words were prepared for him and to, for him to make his pilgrimage. Listen to Jesus singing these words in his humiliation For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Think of the son singing these words in his humiliation. Being reassured of his relationship to the father. Even as he endured all of the miseries of this life. This is why Jesus could walk through this world with great confidence. The first half of this psalm tells us how it goes with the king. And a fitting summary of these verses, these first seven verses, is found in what we sang earlier from Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. Verse uh, 7 of Psalm 21, because the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. This is how it goes for the king. As goes the king. Well, Jesus Christ, in his exaltation now, having received so many of the promises from the Father, he sings this song of confidence over us. And we can, in the first seven verses of this psalm, simply be encouraged by the confidence of our king. But beautifully, the psalm doesn't stop there. Instead, Christ continues in this psalm in verses 8 through 12, calling to us. So second, let's consider the king's call. As goes the king, so goes the kingdom. As goes the king, so go his people. And so Christ's confidence becomes our confidence. Christ's confidence walking through this world has great implications for how we now walk through this world following in his footsteps. Look with me at verse 8. After Christ our king gives expression to his confidence, he turns to bless his people. He turns and he blesses us as just as the confidence was grounded in the fact that he found refuge in God alone. And God was faithful to him through all of his earthly ministry, in his humiliation, all the way until his exaltation. He tells us that we can find the same refuge in God. Jesus says to us tonight, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. There's that wonderful change from mine to us. Note three aspects of this call with me briefly. First, notice that when notice when you are to trust in God at all times. At all times. It's amazing when you stop and think about the blessing of these words. Trust in him at all times. A number of years ago, I read an article in which the author was arguing that the time in which we live today, we are are living in a time that he called an anxiety epidemic. And he cited statistics to try to prove his point. But his thesis was this. He said, only fundamental change can defeat The anxiety epidemic. Now whether or not we're actually in an anxiety epidemic. I agree with his thesis. Right? Only fundamental change can defeat the anxiety epidemic. I agree with his thesis. So long as that fundamental change is the call of Christ to us. Jesus says trust in him at all times. The word of God is full of examples Of that truth that says, You keep him, Isaiah 26, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. We might think of Peter and John when they're first arrested in Acts chapter 4. They're told, Don't preach anymore in this name. They're threatened with either further imprisonment or execution, and they just have to say, Sorry, we're going to continue to preach. We might think of how we've considered Peter, right? Arrested and in prison, waiting a sure execution. And how do we find him? He's asleep. And he's so soundly asleep that even an angel appearing in his cell doesn't wake him or rouse him from his sleep. That angel has to hit him on the side to get him out of such a deep sleep. We might think of Paul and Silas later on in Acts chapter 16, where they are found at midnight in jail, Singing psalms to God and praying. Why are these kept in peace? Well, it's because their minds are stayed on God. They are hearing the risen Christ saying to them, trust in God at all times. Second, prayer is key in finding this refuge in God. We see this throughout the book of Acts as well. The psalm says, pour out your heart before him. Now it's important that we note that in our text, in Psalm 62, that call to prayer is a call to corporate prayer. The words of this psalm are not calling to us as individuals to pour out our hearts to God, although the word of God does clearly do that. Private prayer is a tremendous resource and a tremendous blessing, and we are called individually to pour our hearts out to God. But in this text... It says, you all, it's plural, you all are to pour out your heart, singular, before God. Well, what preceded and accompanied the boldness of the believers throughout the book of Acts? Well, almost always you can find a connection to corporate prayer. When Peter and John were released from prison, they immediately found their brothers and they joined together with God begging for more boldness. When Peter was in prison and when he was released, what did he do to go find the people of God? Well, he went to find them praying. And so we need to gather together in corporate prayer to pray, to seek God for this peace. But then third, notice the change in pronoun usage. In verses 1 through 7, we hear Christ our King using that first person pronoun, my, many times. And and we don't hesitate to, to appreciate that connection. Of course, Jesus can claim this kind of proximity to the Father. He says, God is my rock, my glory, my salvation, my refuge, my fortress, my salvation, and my hope. But how can I say that? I am a sinner. How can I have confidence to call upon God in this way? Well, it is because Christ is our King. And in verse 8, He says to us, God is a refuge for us. In that moment, the Lord Jesus Christ takes us into His arms, uniting us to Himself, and He says, What is mine is yours. Just as I call upon the Father, and He is mine, He is also yours. When Christ is your King, What is his becomes yours. And with the same kind of confidence that Jesus calls upon the Father, you too, though a sinner, because you are saved by grace and clothed in the righteousness of Christ, you can call upon the Father in the same way. When God is your refuge, Even if this life is filled with rough waters, God becomes that safe harbor into which your soul can be at rest while you wait for his salvation. Have you laid a hold of God in this way through Jesus Christ? Is he your rock, your glory, your salvation, your refuge, your fortress, your salvation, and your hope? Listen, you have an enemy. And he is often called the accuser because he is going to come with your very real sins. And he is going to say to you, he's not your salvation. He's not your refuge. He's not your hope. He's not your God. And you can say, I belong to Christ. And the confidence that Jesus Christ has to call upon the Father is mine in Christ. He is my God. He is my salvation. He is my refuge. He is my hope. It's not because I haven't done those things. It's because I belong to Christ. Have you laid a hold of Christ so that you have this confidence in God? Listen to King Jesus tonight. Make him your refuge. Now next, Jesus sings another word of rebuke. He did so earlier to his enemies, so why in this period in which he's calling to us is there a word of rebuke? Proverbs 27.5 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. This rebuke here is unlike the previous rebuke. The previous rebuke was for Christ's enemies. This is a rebuke from a friend for a friend. Look at verses 9 and 10. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Here we are warned against trusting in anything else. Here we are warned against trusting in man or riches, in others or in wealth. Really, in summary, again, we are warned here against trusting in anything else because there is a very real temptation to all of us. To trust in other things. To trust in man. To trust in wealth. To trust in good planning or wisdom or anything else. So where is your trust tonight? Jesus said at the beginning of this psalm, for God alone. My soul waits. He alone is my rock and my salvation. Where is your trust tonight? Think of it this way. What either calms or disturbs your heart? Because that can often reveal where your trust is. If the stock market crashed tomorrow, would it disturb your heart? However the next election goes, will that put fear into you? How often are you checking your retirement account? What are the things that impact your heart? What either calms or disturbs your heart? Here Christ lovingly is calling us to set aside all of those other vain hopes. Listen to the words of Hebrews 13 and and notice where it begins and where it takes us. Hebrews 13 says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That's good, that's helpful, but it's even better. Why? For he, Jesus, he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. Where is your refuge? Is it in anything else? Because anything else is vain. And the Lord Jesus speaks to us in this psalm to say, I don't want you to be disappointed. I don't want you to be tossed to and fro by politics, by economy, or by mankind, because those things will always disappoint you. He's saying instead, set your hope on God. And that is why this psalm ends with a word of reassurance. It says, once God has spoken twice, have I heard this that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. And here it is. For you will render to a man according to his work. Depending on where you are in relationship to Jesus Christ, that verse should either strike the greatest fear into your heart or the greatest comfort Those are frightful words for anybody who is outside of Jesus Christ. Those are fearful words for anybody who is trusting in any other thing but Christ. Because if God is going to render to you according to your work, and you, if you do not have faith in Christ, and God renders to you according to your work, you have only the fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume God's enemies. That verse should strike the greatest fear into your heart. It should keep you up at night if you don't know Christ. But if you do know Christ, This should assuage all of your fears. This should calm your heart in every set of circumstances. For you will render to a man according to his work. If you are trusting in Christ that a man is Jesus Christ. And his work is the work of salvation. And so if you are trusting in Jesus Christ. This is your reassurance. There is no greater confidence to be found in all of existence than faith in Jesus Christ. Because if God renders to a man Jesus according to his work and you are trusting in Christ, then your sins have been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. And that perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited to your account. And whereas you had once been at enmity with God, because of Christ you have been brought near and you now have, because of Christ, an abiding and unchanging peace with God. And so this psalm sets our hearts upon Christ the King. As goes the King. So goes the kingdom. When we read and sing these words, we hear Christ, our risen and reigning king, singing over us these words of confidence. And his confidence becomes our confidence through our union with Christ and our hearing of his words of reassurance. Parents know that when a child is disconcerted, when they're filled with fear, and struggle to be calmed, that what they can do is take that child up into their arms and speak to them about what is true to help put away the fears that have consumed them. And really, when we come to Psalm 62, that is what Jesus is doing for us in this world. As a father for his children in this world, he comes to us. We're still on our pilgrimage. And when we sing this psalm, he takes us into his arms as it, were, as it were, and he sings these words of confidence so that we might remember the father's faithfulness to the son in his humiliation and know that that faithfulness will be ours. We will know that same faithfulness as we find refuge in rise. And so as we hear this song tonight, it's as if Jesus is saying, "Rest quietly while you wait for the Father's salvation. Rest quietly while he accomplishes all that he has promised. Rest quietly in his harbor though this world is a sea that will roar and foam. Rest quietly while you wait for him." Lamentations 3:26 says it is good that one should wait quietly. the salvation of the Lord. So as we sing this psalm here in a moment, listen as King Jesus sings to you tonight through the lips and the voices of his people. Let him soothe your soul even now by the power of his word. And remember, as goes the king, so goes the kingdom. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, our risen and exalted King, we thank you that we gather tonight to worship in the presence of the triune God because of your finished work and because of your ongoing work as our mediator. We thank you that your word brings us to behold you by faith. And we thank you that it is your very word to us on the basis of your work, that can give to us a confidence none, uh, known nowhere else. And yet, Lord, you know our hearts, you know our need, you know how we struggle. We struggle with the attacks of our accuser, we struggle with doubts about the truthfulness of your word. And so we ask, Lord God, that as you have given to us this song, that we might sing it and know it to carry it around with us wherever we go so that we will bless the Lord at all times, so that we will trust in him at all times. Will you bless us now as we sing this word? May we attend to your voice in Psalm 62, hearing of your confidence, recognizing the Father's faithfulness. And then coming to you at your call to share that confidence. Lord Jesus, will you do this for us now by your spirit that you may be glorified and that we might live to your glory here in this world. And so we pray this all now in your precious name. Amen.